Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Nestor Gomez. When you think about it, getting married, getting divorced, getting married, and getting divorced again, it's kind of like the American way of life. <laughs> that and more. But before that, did you know the next Risk live stream is our Halloween show? Oh my gosh, scary stories galore at our October 23rd live stream. It is at 10 p.m. Eastern and 7 p.m. Pacific, and it's going to be guest hosted by Jonah Ray. You know Jonah from Mystery Science Theater 3000 and The Meltdown with Jonah and Kumail and A Hidden America. So many things. Well, The Risk Book. <laughs> But anyway, Jonah will be guest hosting the show for all of these scary stories we're featuring on October 23rd, our special Halloween live stream. Do not miss it. Go to risk-show.com slash tour to get your tickets now. And if you go to thestorystudio.org, you're going to find all kinds of workshops and webinars, including my own. I'm doing one on October 27th at 6 p.m. Eastern. It's called Storytelling for Performance. I'll be talking for an hour and a half and taking questions along the way about the parts of storytelling that aren't so much about composing and preparing the story, but performing it. Again, look up all of our workshops and webinars at thestorystudio.org. Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness! Here's the high-stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. To crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Now here's the show.
Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is DJ Instrumental behind me now. And we're calling this week's episode Learning. Three stories from our recent live streams. We've been loving these live streams. And the next one is on October 23rd. It's going to be all Halloween stories with uh, Jonah Ray will be guest hosting. So get on over to risk-show.com slash tour to get your tickets to the next one. In a little bit, we're going to hear from the wonderful Angie Chapman. Oh my gosh, such a thrill to have Angie on the show for the very first time. But also... It's kind of amazing that we're having Nestor Gomez on the show for the very first time. Nestor is a celebrity in Chicago's storytelling scene. He's won the moth over 40 times. I I can't even keep track. He's remarkable. They call Nestor the boss. You can find him at NestorGomezStoryteller.com and here he is now with a story we call Journey to the Poles. When I was 15 years old, like any kid living in Guatemala and any other Latin American country, I was excited about the idea of turning 18 years old. But not only because in Guatemala at 18 years old, you can legally drive, smoke, and drink. Okay, well, I did want to smoke, drink, and drive. But also in Guatemala, you can vote as soon as you turn 18 years old. Now, back then, I used to be very shy because I had a speech impediment. I used to store it really badly. So I didn't have a voice. And the idea of being able to have a voice with my vote to participate in the political events in Guatemala and hopefully with my vote and my voice be able to help solve the civil war in Guatemala that had caused the death of thousands of people I had made Many people emigrate to the United States, including my parents, was intoxicating to me. I wanted to vote. I wanted to have a voice. Sadly, a few months after I turned 15 years old, my parents decided that my siblings and I should also emigrate to the United States and join them here in Chicago. And when I got to Chicago at first, I was excited when I learned that here in the United States, you can also vote at 18 years old. However, my siblings and I had come to this country undocumented. And contrary to what you hear on fake news or what you hear some people say, undocumented people do not vote. Undocumented people are not allowed to vote. So I remember thinking, Not only do I stutter, but I also don't know the language of this country. And now because I am undocumented, even after I turn 18 years old, I will not be able to vote. Now, I really 
don't have a voice. When my mother heard about my concerns, she told me, Mijo, son, don't worry. I already have a green card and I have applied for you and your siblings to become USA citizens. The only thing you have to do, she said, you have to remain single. Now, at first I couldn't understand what remaining single had to do with my immigration process. But my mother explained that by me getting married, especially to another undocumented person, the government will see that as they giving paper to two people instead of one person. And because I couldn't speak any English, the possibilities of me marrying somebody who was a citizen were very slim. So the best thing for me to do was to remain single. However, I was already going to high school. And being a Latino, half-blooded kid, even with my stuttering, I was already dating a girl in high school that just happened to be undocumented as well. And a couple of years later, I kind of got her pregnant, so we kind of had to get married. Now, my siblings followed my mother's advice, and they were able to arrange their documents. However, me, I got married, and then I got divorced a few years later, and then I met another woman, and I got married again, and then a few years later, I got divorced again. So I complicated and prolonged my immigration status and my, my trying to become a documented person. Although, when you think about it, getting married, getting divorced, getting married, and getting divorced again, is kind of like the American way of life. But the government did not see it that way. It wasn't until I was almost 30 years old when Barack Obama was making his run to be president of the United States that I finally was able to get a green card. But I still couldn't vote. Having a green card is not the same thing as being a citizen. And having a green card does not permit you to vote. That privilege is only reserved for citizens. So I remember thinking, I no longer stutter. I am undocumented now that I have a green card. And I have learned to speak English with a very sexy Latino accent. <laughs> <laughs> but I still cannot vote. I still do not have a voice. When Barack Obama was elected president, thousands of people congregated on Grand Park, Chicago, to hear his speech. Mm. Families gathered at restaurants and friends gathered at bars to celebrate. People were driving around honking and screaming, Jet Weekend! Jet Weekend! Jet Weekend! I was at home thinking, no, I can't. I cannot vote because I'm still not a citizen. And the process from having a green card to becoming a citizen it's tedious, it's long, it requires paying a lot of money, filling up a lot of applications, taking a citizenship test. It takes a lot of time. So I still couldn't vote. But I promised myself that I was going to do everything in my power to be able to become a citizen as soon as possible so I could take part on this very important historic event of electing the first African-American president in the history of the United States. However, 
By the time Barack Obama started to run for a second time, I had already gotten lazy and complacent. And I was making excuses to myself. I don't have any money. It takes too long. Barack Obama is going to win with or without my help anyway. So I did not apply to become a USA citizen. Mm. It wasn't until the beginning of the end of Barack Obama's second term when the anti-immigration talks and the chance of build a wall, build a wall started to get really loud that I decided to do everything in my power and get my act together to become a citizen. But as I explained before, becoming a citizen from resident to citizen takes long, takes money, and is the government that decides how long the process takes. So I could not become a citizen in time to vote for the 2016 election. I remember sitting at home, unable to take my eyes away from the TV screen, and unable to believe the results of the election. This was one of the most important elections of our time. And half of the population of the United States did not vote. I was so mad at myself because I couldn't vote and I had taken too long to apply to become a citizen. But I was also mad at the fact that a lot of people like me probably had the green card and they took too long to become citizens. And I was thinking how many people took too long like me or how many people were already citizens or were born citizens and they simply decide that they didn't want to go out and vote. Like I say, this was one of the most important elections of our time. And half of the population simply did not vote. Black people were lynched, were killed, suffered to earn the right to vote. Native Americans were not given the right to vote until the 1950s. Women, only a few decades ago, were allowed to vote. There are still a lot of people on detention centers and living in poverty that are fighting right now for the right to vote. There should be no reason, no reason whatsoever those that are able to vote don't go out and vote. Unless, unless you're Republican. <laughs> In that case, you want to stay home and watch a movie or watch the game. If you got something else to do, by all means, feel free to stay home. In my case, I did not become a citizen until March 2018. After more than 30 years living in this country, I was finally able to become a USA citizen. And the first thing I did was to text my mom to give her the good news. And then I signed up to be a registered voter. I remember telling the person as I was signing up that I was really excited because now for the first time I was going to be able to vote on a presidential election. Um, you don't have to wait until presidential election, he said. There are plenty of elections for mayors, for Congress. There are a lot of elections that you could participate on. You don't have to wait 
until the presidential election. So now, it was November 2018, and I was on my way to vote for the very first time in my life. I was no longer a 15-year-old kid dreaming of voting. Now I was a 40-year-old something guy on his way to vote for the very first time. I remember going into the place, grabbing my ballot, and looking at it for a long time, wanting to burst into tears. On my way out of the voting place, I had to control myself so I wouldn't start crying and I wouldn't start stuttering as I asked one of the people working there, do, do you have a tissue? He looked at me a little bit weird, so I had to explain myself. I'm sorry, but this is the very first time that I'm voting and I'm just really excited. Well, in that case, he said, you don't want to forget this. He said, as he plays, and I, I bought a wristband on my wrist. I looked at the wristband, and I had to get out of there running so I wouldn't start crying as I saw it. And as soon as I got out of the place, I took a picture of it, and I posted on Facebook, on Twitter, or Instagram, on WhatsApp, on MySpace. Everywhere, every single social media place, I posted a picture. And then I text my wife, because of course I got married a third time. I mean, what can you do with this sexy Latino accent? Bound to happen. So I texted my wife the picture. And as soon as she saw it, she replied, congratulations, with a thumbs up, fist emoji, American flag emoji, you bought it, Emoji. And as soon as I got home, she asked me, so how long did it take? How do you feel? And I thought about that for a moment because the process of going to the boarding place and boarding had only taken a few minutes. But my wife knows that. But she also knows that the struggle that to be able to vote had taken me a lifetime. But since she knows that, I didn't explain that to her. It wasn't necessary. I just say, I feel great. I have a voice now. And now that I have a voice, I'm going to use the voice for the rest of my life. And this November, in spite of COVID, in spite of anything, I am going to vote by mail, in person, any way that I can, but I'm going to vote. And I'm going to join my voice to the voice of millions as we scream and we chant, yes, we can, yes, we can, yes, we can. Thank you. Some pride in the notion that maybe 
someday Well, I'd have a choice in how I use my voice And I'd finally be able to say Everyone, please welcome to the virtual stage, Angie Chapman. Second grade was boring. The nuns all wore these habits where we were like big black capes. And they also had to wear the thing that covered their heads so that all you saw was their face. My teacher, Mrs. Scott, wasn't a nun. So she was always in what I call dress-up clothes. Me and my fellow students, we also had to wear uniforms to school. The girls in plaid skirts and knee-high socks that had to either be navy or white. And we wore a white shirt with a collar. In the colder days, you could wear a navy blue sweater. And the boys had to wear blue pants and dark shoes and white shirts as well. So it's kind of strict and not a lot of fun, except on visitor day. Oh, visitor day, we got to wear our own clothes. And it was always a surprise who was coming to visitor day. One time we had a person from the Shedd Aquarium come and they showed a video about whales and dolphins in the Gulf of Mexico. And then another time we had an astronomer from the um, planetarium and he talked about the stars and the constellations. And then we also had a visitor from the symphony and they actually just played really kind of boring music, but it was just something different. <laughs> but the best part of visitor day was that we got to wear our own clothes and on this particular visitor day, I wore my favorite brown knit dress and it had pink stripes across the chest. And actually, my mother said it wasn't brown, it was taupe. And I love saying that word, taupe. And I also wore my white stockings and I wore my special shoes, which are black patent leather. See, my family wasn't very rich. So I got three pairs of shoes each year as I grew out of them. I had my black patent leather special ones, my regular brown school shoes, and then a pair of tennis shoes. And so this was a very special occasion that I could wear my black patent leather shoes. So we never knew who was coming. That was the other great thing about visitor day. And so late in the afternoon, at, you know, we would have been excited all morning, me and my classmates. And late in the afternoon, a policeman shows up at the door. And Mrs. Scott introduces him as our visitor for the day. And there was like a tension that came across the room, but part of it was that we had to behave really nicely when it came to any of our visitors. So the policeman came in and he was a big guy and his name tag said Stanislavski or something like that. And he had a thick accent and he was, he was funny. You know, most of the policemen on TV were svelte, skinny, muscular. This guy was a little overweight. It was kind of like his belly hung over his belt and his buttons were about to pop because he was so big. Anyway, so he comes in and he says, what we should do is call him officer friendly. 
and that Officer Friendly's roles with the Chicago Police Department is to serve and protect Americans. And Lyle, one of my classmates behind me, snorted. And we knew why he made that noise because, see, we had all seen that Dr. King had marched in Chicago's Marquette Park the summer before. And the policemen were there, but they didn't protect the people who were marching. Mm. And in fact, Dr. King, there were rocks thrown at him. Almost like the story in the Bible that the nuns told us about how Jesus was stoned. And the reason why we knew is because they had a picture in the Chicago Defender newspaper and there was blood on his forehead and he almost fell down and the people around him helped him out. But again, the policemen didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of skeptical about that whole thing that these people were there to serve and protect Americans. But we still behaved ourselves and listened quietly as Officer Friendly passed around his badge for us to look at and he passed around his baton, which was really heavy. And then he asked for a volunteer. Now, second grade for me was boring also because Mrs. Scott would teach reading, writing, and arithmetic, but I already knew all that stuff. So I was basically the teacher's pet in the front row at all times. And so as soon as they asked for a volunteer, I raised my hand. And I got up there and Officer Friendly had me turn around and face the front where he then asked me to put my hands up in front of my face. And he took out his handcuffs and he put them on my wrists. And they were really heavy and metal and cold. And he told me to drop my hands and the handcuffs fell off. And everybody laughed. But there's still that tension in the air of my classmates. And then Officer Friendly asked me to turn around and put my hands behind my back. And he said that for people who had smaller wrists, like me, there was a special set of handcuffs. And he put those on me. And I could hear them click. And not only were they cold, I started to try to wiggle out of them because I was kind of nervous and wanted to get these off of my wrists and move my arms completely. And they scratched. And meanwhile, Officer Friendly is busy talking about all the other things that policemen do, like give out parking tickets and save people who are in distress. And I'm looking at Mrs. Scott for her to help me to see that I'm in distress. I want these handcuffs off. And I don't know if she couldn't, if I couldn't catch her eye or whether she was just ignoring me, but I got scared. Mm -hmm. And so I looked at my classmates. I turned around and looked at my classmates for help. And Kevin, one of the boys in my class who never played with me. So it wasn't like we were close friends. He looked at me and he shook his head. And I knew that was a signal to not give in because he could tell that I was about to cry. Mm. I was really scared. And when I saw Kevin do that, I thought to myself, oh, this must be a bully. Mm. And I wasn't going to let him win. Mm. So I didn't cry and I stopped wiggling, but my body didn't pay attention to what my mind was telling it. And so I could feel the urine come out of my pants and down my legs and into my beautiful black patent leather shoes. Mm -hmm. 
And it was at that time that Mrs. Scott got up and she told Officer Friendly, she said, release her now. And he took the handcuffs off. And Mrs. Scott gave me a paper bag, which I knew was for emergencies. So it probably had a pair of clean underwear in it. And I went off to the bathroom and I changed my clothes. Mm. And when I got back to the class, Officer Friendly had left. And it was pretty much time to go home. Mm. Officer Friendly did leave me a prize, though, for being so helpful. It was a silver whistle. On my walk home from school, in my wet, soaking shoes, Mm. I threw that whistle away. Mm. It was no prize. When I got home, my mother asked me what had happened. And I told her, and I apologized for getting my shoes wet. And she forgave me. And I was disappointed, though, that that's all she said. She said, I'm so sorry this happened to you. But she didn't get angry. She didn't say, I'm going to go up to that school and find out who that officer friendly was and make him say he was sorry. She didn't do any of that. And I was really disappointed in my mother because, you see, I thought my mother was Wonder Woman. Mm. She had told us that, me and my sister. And once we actually went through her jewelry drawer looking for her bracelets. (laughs) So I was surprised when she couldn't do anything. Mm. What she did say is she said, change is going to come, Angie. Trust me, it'll be different when you get older. And when I was stopped in a department store and all of my white friends' backpacks weren't searched, but mine was, Mm. I thought about what my mother said to me, that change was going to come. And I thought maybe a couple more years. But then when I was pulled over because a policeman thought my taillight wasn't working and he threatened to give me a ticket, I thought, okay, a couple more years, change is going to come. And then when I was driving and I had my baby in the back seat and a cop pulled me over and told me that I didn't know how much my baby weighed and they were in the car seat facing the wrong way, here's a $50 ticket. I thought, change still has to come. It's been a long time since I was in the second grade. Mm. And when I see George Floyd and those 13 at the church in Charleston and Breonna Taylor, I can't help think about the same people who lost their lives when I was a kid like the story of Emmett Till or the four little girls in that Birmingham church. And it just seems like change isn't coming. It's the same things are repeating themselves. But I'm going to try to hold on and still believe because my mother never lied to me. So change is coming. It's just taking a long time. Thank you for listening. Black Lives Matter.
This is Risk. This is Roberta Flack behind me now. And we just heard from Angie Chapman. Definitely look Angie up at angiecwriter.com. You can also find her on Twitter at angiecwriter. You know, it's interesting. After the live streams, we do a Q&A where the viewers can ask questions of the storytellers. And it was really interesting that night that Angie shared that story because in the Q&A, she pointed out that there was a case in the news very recently where that same thing happened. A white cop put an eight-year-old black child in handcuffs and really scared the child and, and was trying to scare the child. Angie was saying that she saw that her teacher definitely saw how distressed she was early on, but that her teacher seemed too afraid to speak up. And she saw that the cop saw how distressed she was early on. And the cop even said if she asked him nicely to be let free, he might consider it. I think it's important that people like Angie are sharing about those sorts of experiences. But before Angie, we also heard a little song from the folks at the show called Story Jam in Chicago. It's stories and original songs. You can find them at storyjamshow.com and that song was called I Voted. Now I want to give a little shout out to two of our latest Patreon members, Robert Walsh and Eblin Angel. Thank you so much, Robert and Eblin. It means so much to us that people are pitching in to help keep Risk running because we really, 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 we need it. And there's so much to find on Patreon. Our bonus stories, our check-ins, our interviews with storytellers, and with our faculty members and story coaches. There is so much to be found at patreon.com slash risk. And if you want to make a one-time donation, you can go to paypal.me slash risk show. And a fun thing that a lot of Risk fans have been doing lately is going to cameo.com slash thekevinallison. Risk fans will often buy uh, me doing a little video, a personalized video that they then send to someone else they know who's a Risk fan, like their spouse, their best friend, or whoever it might be to wish a happy birthday or a whatever. And they're really, really fun. So do that. Go to cameo.com slash the Kevin Allison and get a little video from me singing or telling a joke or showing off my cat or whatever it is that you would like to see and hear. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. 
and it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Our final story on this week's episode comes to us from Risk fan Liz Fisher. Wow, this was extraordinary. This is one of those, someone sharing a story with us for the very first time on the show and really blew us away. Here is Liz Fisher now from the Risk live stream. We call this one Shepherd and the Wolf. I hadn't been in my office longer than about maybe 30 minutes when my phone rang and it was the receptionist and she said that I had a visitor in the main lobby and I thought this was odd because it was really early and I wasn't expecting anyone but I made my way downstairs and at the base of the stairs there was a tall slender man in a button-up shirt who flashed a police badge at my approach and he asked Can we please step outside? And my heart fell into my stomach because I knew that this is how they tell you that someone's died. And I followed along slowly behind him and braced myself for the information that would follow. Now, earlier that morning, I had kissed my husband goodbye and loaded up my eight-year-old daughter in the back seat and took her to school. And on the way there, I was talking to her in the rearview mirror. And I was like, hey, remember, I'm leaving tomorrow and I'm going to be gone for a week. I'm going on a work trip. But when her face fell, I reassured her and said, don't worry, you'll be at home with Mark. And she smiled after that. She loved her stepdad. And quite frankly, everybody did. Sometimes there were times that I felt like my friends liked my husband better than they liked me. He had this easygoing way about him. Mark had this ability to make you feel like you were the only person in the room. I remember on our first date, I was taken aback by his self-deprecating sense of humor and these bright blue eyes. And I thought, wow, like... This guy's awesome. And I floated all the way home, but I had to be careful because if I told you that I had made bad choices and men before Mark, that would be an understatement. By this time, I had implemented what I called a two-date policy. And what this meant was, was that after two dates, if I had seen somebody and I wanted to see them a third time, I would run a TBI background investigation on them to weed out the nut jobs and the felons and the people with active warrants. But Mark passed with flying colors, of course, and we fell madly in love. And two years later, we were married in our backyard, surrounded by friends and family. And this house was 
awesome. It became the hub of the neighborhood. It wasn't unusual for me to come home in a cloud of grill smoke and having my pool filled with neighbors. I remember thinking, we finally did it. Like, we finally got it right. We created this life that we wanted and that we had longed for. Now, Mark had a son with an ex-wife, and his situation was a lot different from ours. He lived a couple of hours away with his mother and would come to us in ill-fitting clothes that were usually filthy. Um, He himself would be pretty dirty, and he hadn't been brushing his teeth. And even though I had never met his mother, I did hear her weekly calls for extra money for groceries or rent. We tried to help whenever we could. It wasn't until we found that they had been evicted again and his son was living on someone's sofa that we finally pursued custody. And this this went on forever. It took almost a year for us to get a mediation date. And finally that date came And Mark let me know that this was something that he really wanted to face alone with his ex-wife, that this was something between them, and I had to respect that. And so on that day, I waited anxiously at home, and when he arrived, I expected good news, but he was visibly upset. He went outside chain-smoking cigarettes and pacing on the patio back and forth, and I asked him what what happened, like, how did it go? And he just said, it didn't go well. I, it didn't go well. I don't have a good feeling about it. And when I asked him again, well, what happened exactly? Like what was said? He said, I just don't have a good feeling about it. We're just going to have to wait and see. I tried pushing more, but I realized it was going to be an argument. And I thought, well, he needs space and time and he'll get back with me. But then time passed. And now I'm standing out in front of my office building with this police officer. And he says, don't worry, your daughter's fine and your husband's okay, but I need for you to grab your things and follow me back to your house right now. There's a detective and police there, and they will explain everything. And I asked him, well, is my husband there? Is he coming home? And he said, whether it does have something to do with your husband, however, we need for you to come home right now. I ran inside and grabbed my purse and my keys ran out and I start following the detective back home to my house. And of course, on the way, I call Mark. He answers, and I say, Mark, I'm really scared. There's a detective that came to my work, and he said that I have to come home, and uh, do you know what's going on? And he said, no. What? And I asked him again. I said, Mark, um, I don't know what's happening, but they said it might have something to do with you. Can you think of anything that this could be? And he said, no. And there was an edge to that voice. But quite frankly, I can't tell you how that conversation even ended because it was at that moment I became very aware of every exit ramp I passed on the interstate was a parked police car. And I thought, is that for me? 
Like, are they afraid that I'm going to exit? I got home and there were three unmarked police cars on my front lawn. I'm approached by a woman in a tank top and a suit jacket with a badge on her hip. She looks straight out of central casting, like one of the sexy CSI agents. She says, can we please talk inside? And I say yes, and with shaking hands, I open the front door and two detectives and three police officers file inside. I sat at the kitchen table with the female detective and she slides a piece of paper across the table and says, this is a search warrant for your home. And I'm trying to read the information on this page and nothing is making sense when I notice that the police in my living room are starting to take pictures and a detective is opening up my kitchen cabinet. She then says, your husband has been flagged by the Center for Missing and Exploited Children for the possession of child pornography. And I immediately thought, they've got the wrong fucking house. Like this is, they're in the wrong place. This isn't right. And before I can say anything, she adds, your husband's ex-wife was recently at a mediation and accused him of trying to photograph her daughter in the shower. And then it all came clear. I said, of course, this woman is bringing this up now. I said, we are in the middle of a heated custody battle right now. And before I could get another word out, the detective says, no, ma'am. No, ma'am. This is real. And it's quite possible he's done this before. I sat dumbfounded staring into my kitchen wall. When she then asked me, do you have a picture of your daughter? And that's something that I don't wish for anyone to ever have to hear from a police officer is, do you have a picture of your child? She asked if Mark was coming home. I said, I don't know. She said, get him here. And I call. And when he picks up, I say, are you on your way home? And he said, no, what's going on? And I said, I don't know. They won't tell me. When Mark finally did come home, the fear and guilt was already on his face. He tried to touch my shoulder and I shrugged him off. He didn't say a word. Eventually, the police packed up and the detectives left. And when they search your house and go through all of your things and take what they need, they don't exactly tell you what comes next or what to do. And so I'm left alone with a stranger in my house. Mark still has said nothing. And I tell him to pack his shit and get the fuck out of my house. So after that, I've... He left. I frantically ran around the house trying to find whatever belonged to him and started throwing it in a spare bedroom in like a giant pile. I guess I was trying to get rid of him immediately, and it wasn't until I got into our bathroom when I saw it. The suicide letter that he had written and the life insurance forms, and I knew he was serious. And then happened another 
ran in with the police where we, a welfare check was made and they finally tracked him down and Mark spent the next week in a mental hospital. And it was during that time that it became very clear that I wasn't going to be able to pay rent on my own. I fully expected news crews to show up on my front lawn. And so I didn't want my daughter to see this. I packed up everything we had and we moved to another town to start over again. I went through the motions every day of breakfast, lunch, dinner, just trying to get through the day long enough to get homework done and my child bathed and back in bed before I fell apart again. I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. I watched TV all night long, shredding bits of fabric and braiding it together like a crazy person. And I began to be terrified to leave my house. I would equate going to a grocery store like walking into a den full of hungry lions. Everyone was a threat. No one could be trusted. And the worst part was standing in the checkout lanes, watching small children with their families and wondering, do they need help? Now, hindsight is always 2020, but after something traumatic, usually truth comes and fits and starts and waves. But eventually it did become clear that this money that we were sending to Mark's ex-wife every week for groceries or shoes wasn't for groceries or shoes. It was in effect blackmail payments in exchange for her silence payments that came from my checking account. And this woman chose to remain silent, endangering my child. Mark pled guilty to multiple counts against him, and he was found with over a thousand images. He pled guilty and was sentenced to 12 years in prison. And as for my daughter and I, through lots of of counseling <laughs> and time, it became clear she was not a victim. And I can't tell you to this day if the police actually knew that I was leaving the very next day and she would be alone in his care. Maybe it was luck or maybe it was divine intervention, maybe it was both, but she was safe and she's doing really great. <laughs> As for me and a lot of hard work with a counselor, I've managed to be able to trust people again. I didn't think that was possible. And I can honestly say that I can go to the grocery store without having a panic attack out in the parking lot. <laughs> and I was right about one thing. That day that I thought that the detective was there to tell me that somebody had died, they did die that day. My husband died, or at least the man I thought I married.
my people, I should never have come here. Trick with the dick and the gift for the gap. I know a place, I've seen a face. I'll take the coats from factory to factory on these nights that I've been all alone. Through my window, the moonlight just shone. And That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Martha Wainwright behind me now, and we just heard from Liz Fisher. Don't forget that Halloween live stream show on October 23rd at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific. It will be hosted by comedian Jonah Ray, so it'll be a very special occasion and a lot of scary stories. Tickets, as always, are at risk-show.com slash tour. Don't forget, there are so many educational opportunities over at thestorystudio.org, including corporate workshops. We have done remarkable workshops with people like Google and Pfizer and American Express and Citibank and so many more. We've also worked with individuals, you know, doctors, lawyers, teachers, preachers, all sorts of folks who want to work on their communication skills over at thestorystudio.org. You can also hire me for your own personal training. I do consultations. You can look me up at kevinallison.com. And one really fun thing that a lot of Risk fans are enjoying is texting with me over at joinsubtext.com slash risk show. What it is is that about every other day I'll text something out about something that's going on behind the scenes here or something we're wondering about or some insights about the stories that you might not have heard mentioned on the episodes themselves. And uh, people can text me back, and only I see the text back. So it's a really fun way to interact with fans. Again, that's at joinsubtext.com slash risk show. And the first two weeks are free. And then if you like it, you can sign up to do it regularly. And if you never have, be sure to browse around our website at risk-show.com. We have the tables of contents of all the episodes, including links to where you can find the bands and the storytellers. We have the lists of all our live shows. We have submissions, you know, how you can pitch us your stories, a very helpful, informative submissions page. You know, links to where you can find the Risk book and other merchandise. That's all at risk-show.com slash tour. Be sure to look us up on all the socials at Risk Show. And be sure to look me up on Twitter and Instagram at the Kevin Allison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. Oh, I know a place. I've seen a face. I'll take the high road from the